Titus, you are dismissed and you need to go east and not south. Okay. Uh, good morning. Um, happy Sunday. Um, glad you're here today. Bless you. I'm sorry about the time, James, but um, be mad at Benjamin Franklin, I guess, about that. Um, I want y'all to uh, put on your thinking caps today. I want to talk to you about something that if I had to think through, the, really the, the two or three most important things that I've learned about getting to know God. Let me put it that way. I think that's the best way. If I, had to, if I had to pick the two or three most important things that I have learned in 42 years of knowing Jesus as my Savior, I want to talk to you today about one of those. I don't know if it'd be number two or number three, but it's in the top three. And um, I tell you, before we begin, let me. I want to pray. Dear Holy Spirit, it's going to take your ministry in our lives today for us to get this. The enemy's going to try to distract us. He's going to send birds to try to snatch the seed and weeds to crowd it out and rocks to keep it from going down deep. That man that was blind, and he asked you if you'd make him well and give him sight. And you touched him. And he responded, I can see, but I can only, people look like they're trees. And then you had to touch him again. And when you did, he could see perfectly. I ask you, God, I ask you, dear Jesus, I ask you, dear Holy Spirit, to touch us twice. And let us see this clearly. And to believe it. And to embrace it as your truth. And Lord if you would do that. I personally would be. Eternally grateful. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, let me read this passage to you out of John chapter 1. If you want to follow along you can. Uh, but this is out of John chapter 1. The Bible says that God sent John the Baptist to testify about God's light so that everyone might believe. John wasn't the light. John the Baptist wasn't the light. He was simply a witness to the light. It's very important. That's really foundational today. John the Baptist came... He was called of God, chosen of God, asked to fulfill a purpose. But his purpose wasn't to be the light, to be the Savior. His purpose was to point people to the light, to the Savior. The true, I'm sorry, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John the Baptist said, I baptize with water. But in this crowd is one that you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, 
I'm not worthy to be his slave or to undo his sandals. I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed. I testify to you today that he is the chosen one of God. Um, I said earlier that I, I can't think of anything that has impacted my spiritual journey any more profoundly than what I want to talk to you about today. And those of you that would consider yourselves, if you don't know much about the Bible, and you really, you would see yourself as a novice in your journey with the Lord, I'm not worrying about you. You'll do great with this. It's those of you that consider yourselves Bible scholars. And there's a few of you in here. Which is terrifying, but nonetheless, there's a, there's a few of you. And uh, you're the ones that are going to miss this if you don't let the Holy Spirit listen, uh, speak to you. Okay? Um, I can't think of any spiritual truth that has impacted my life more profoundly. Or any more profoundly. Than the realization that the Jesus... Of the Gospels. Jesus Christ. The Son of God. Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus the Son of Mary. And the uh, adopted son of Joseph. Jesus the, the, the person that was born in Bethlehem. Jesus the one that lived a perfect life for 33 years. And went around teaching and healing. And raising the dead. And walking on water. And feeding the 5,000 uh, the Jesus that was that died on the, that led the disciples, the Jesus that was arrested and beaten and uh, 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 nailed to a cross and rose again and then ascended to heaven. That Jesus, that's the Jesus I'm talking about. So we don't have any confusion. I don't know of anything that has impacted my life any more significant presented in the Gospels that that Jesus who is presented in the Gospels is also from the beginning of the Old Testament in Genesis to the end of the Old Testament in Malachi that Jesus runs through every book of the Old Testament, every chapter of the Old Testament, every page of the Old Testament, every event of the Old Testament, every character in the Old Testament, every law of the Old Testament, every rule or command of the Old Testament. Jesus is the primary foundational, central figure and message in the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. If I said he's the central, um, foundational, underlying, central uh, 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 person and message of the Gospels, well, every one of you go, well, duh, of course he is. 
What, what, what do you think Matthew's talking about? What do you think John's talking about? What do you think Luke is talking about? Of course he's talking about Jesus. He's, the, he's, the, he's on every page of the Gospels, right? Nobody has a problem with that. What I want the Holy Spirit, and I've been asking the Holy Spirit, to convince you of is that in an equal level of reality, He is just that proclaimed, just that real, just that visible, just that declared throughout the Old Testament. And the reason I got fired up about this, really I got convicted. I taught a few weeks ago on Hosea and, and Gomer. Some of you that were, when you, that might have been part of your monthly migration through here where you come once a month and if you were here, then you, then you, you heard that. Um, you heard me talk about Jose and Gomer. And I'm not going to get in. I don't have time today to talk about that. But uh, at the end of that story, I declared to you that the, the main point of the story of Hosea and Gomer is that God, or let me just say the Lord Jesus Christ, is Hosea. He he is Hosea. Hosea proclaims him, declares him, exemplifies him, models him. And you and I are Gomer. We're the ones that were enslaved. We're the ones that were in bondage. We are the ones that were wasting our lives on selfishness. And God said, I will not stand for it. I'm going to go and rescue her. And he did. And then the, the rest of our Christian lives, God is continually going back, as Shirley said today, and rescuing again. And re- there's a, why do we need all these repeated second chances? Because just like Gomer, we run back to the, to the land of selfishness and screw, uh, mess things up. And, 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 and yes. So anyway, you see my point. People... With real Zay and Gomer, are they real people with real lives and their lives teach us things that are applicable to ourselves? Of course. Please don't come to me and tell me, well, I think that's all symbolic and metaphorical and ethereal. Go talk to somebody else that cares because that's silliness. But the real message Why did God put that in the Bible? He could have just dealt with them directly. But he wanted in the Bible. Why? Because he wanted to reveal to us that his son is Hosea. Who is continually chasing us down. And redeeming us from the lives that we have messed up. And bringing us back with this passion to give us something glorious. To make us a part of, to bring us in and make us his bride. And give us a family and make us a part of a family. And pour out his abundance on us. That's the story of Hosea and Gomer. And that's what we talked about. And I had a number of people come up to me after that lesson and say, Larry, I never knew that, I never knew that. The reason Gomer 
uh, or, or that Hosea represented Jesus. I never knew that Gomer represented me. It never crossed my mind. And I mean a bunch of, a number, a number of you made that comment to me and I was like, have I done such a, a crummy job of communicating to y'all that that's not just true of Hosea and Gomer. It's true of every story in the Bible. Every story in the Bible. Every book, every chapter, every character, every event, every rule and every command. They were written by God to point us to the coming of His Son, the life of His Son, the values of His Son, the activities of His Son, the, the ultimate sacrifice of His Son, the resurrection of His Son, and the ascension of His Son. Every story in the Old Testament, that's what its underlying foundational message declares. You think, well, Millet, that's bold talk. As they said in True Grid, that's bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. Uh, that's not bold talk. It's the words of the Lord Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 5 to the Pharisees, You search the Old Testament scriptures, for you think that they give you eternal life. But in reality, they point you to me. Those aren't my words. Those are the Lord Jesus' words. The Old Testament scriptures, they point you to me. Matthew chapter 11. This is Jesus. Uh, Matthew's talking about Jesus uh, uh, and John the Baptist. And he says, uh, uh, referring to John the Baptist, Jesus asked the crowd, What kind of man did you go out into the desert to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Somebody that's wishy-washy and weak and flippant and like a politician will, you know, depending on who he's speaking to, that his message changes? Or did you go out into the wilderness, into the desert, to, to, to listen to somebody in fancy royal robes, some, some kingly, uh, a, power, a powerful person? No. You were looking for a prophet. And John is more than a prophet. John is the one the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures referred to when it said, Look, I'm sending my messenger before you and he will prepare the way for you. John the Baptist, listen to what Jesus says. John the Baptist was the greatest person ever born. That is an incredible statement made by the Son of God. John the Baptist was the greatest person ever born. Before John came, all of the Old Testament prophets and the Old Testament law looked forward to this day, the day of my arrival, the day of, this is Jesus talking, this day. And if you will trust my words, the one the prophet said, representing, if you will, the prophet Elijah, the one the prophet said would come to introduce the Messiah. 
What's Jesus saying there? He's saying that in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that one day somebody would come. We didn't know his name. We find out in the Gospels that his name was John the Baptist. And his role was to introduce to the world the coming Messiah. That Messiah that the Old Testament had been prophesying for uh, several thousand years, he's, he's here now. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's right up there in the crowd. God gave John the role of introducing people to Jesus. Pointing people to Jesus. John the Baptist, his role was to point people beyond himself to someone greater. I want to... I'm asking the Holy Spirit to convince you today. And I don't apologize for this. Because it will change the way you read the Old Testament. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to convince you that not only was John's, John the Baptist's role to point people to Jesus, to reveal Jesus, to introduce Jesus, but John just is a, an example, the, actually the last example, he's the last Old Testament prophet. John the Baptist is. John is the last example of thousands of examples of people that run the gamut of the Old Testament. John the Baptist represents all of the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. Am I saying that the Old Testament is not filled with things that we should Study and read and believe and trust and learn from for our personal lives. Of course. Of course. But I'm telling you. Should we, should we read the words of John the Baptist uh, and learn from his words things that can benefit us personally? Of course. But is that John's point? If you micro, absolutely not. You've missed the point. If you micro study uh, John the Baptist's words to learn how to be a better husband or a better dad or a better businessman or whatever it is that you want to learn, sure you can learn great things about from John. But don't miss the point of why he was there. And that was to tell the people of Israel and hopefully the world, the Messiah has come. It's important that we not miss that John's ultimate purpose, and I'm suggesting, I'm declaring that all of the, the, the things that you read in the Old Testament, their ultimate purpose is to reveal and declare the reality and the love and the ministry of the coming Messiah. Every Old Testament book, chapter, story, character, event, rule, and command were written by God to declare to us who the Messiah would be, what He would do, what he would teach, what he was like.
They were pointing to things greater than themselves. Just like John. He pointed to someone greater than himself. And I would suggest to you that every book of the Old Testament and every person of the Old Testament, they are pointing to something, to someone greater than than themselves. How crazy for me to fall in love with the mailman can you say mailman anymore? Mail person. Now he knows his name. Anyway, how, how crazy to fall in love with a mailman who's bringing me love letters from Cheryl Lee. What's important is what the mailman's bringing me, not him. I mean, fine fella, good for you, proud to know you, glad you're doing your job. But what's important is not the mailman. What's important are the love letters. That my bride is writing to me to reveal herself to me. And yet if we're not careful, we will miss the real message of the love letters because we're so focused on the mailman. Listen to what uh, um, Mark says in chapter 9. Jesus led Peter, James, and John up a high mountain to be alone. And as the disciples watched, Jesus and his robe became dazzling white. And Elijah, who represented the prophets, and Moses, who represented the law, appeared. And they began to talk with Jesus. Peter said, Rabbi, it's so good that we're here. We can build you you and uh, Moses and Elijah a tent or a tabernacle. Peter was babbling because he was terrified. And then a cloud, listen. And then a cloud covered them. And a voice said, This is my precious beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, Moses and Elijah vanished. And the only one that was left was Jesus. I'm suggesting to you, I read my Old Testament every bit as much as I read the New Testament. It's just as inspired, just as important. But the purpose of the... This isn't God. This is God's message. Old and new. But the reason this is beyond value is because of who it reveals. Not just the ink on the pages. This isn't a, these, these pages aren't holy. This leather's not, it is leather. Uh, that, that's not what, it's, it's the message that it's pointing to. And it's pointing us to Jesus Christ. Yeah, Lord help us. Let me give you some examples. Because I can tell some of y'all, y'all think I'm trying to sell you a, a lemon. Okay, at the car lot. And uh, I, let me give you some examples. And I, like I said, we could stay here all day long. But uh, I just want to, the reason this is so important to me is that I think that one of the key reasons that the Old Testament is so daunting, it's so frustrating, it's so confusing, is that we don't see what it's at home. And every one of us have used tools in our toolbox for purposes that they were not designed. Right? You, you, 
the, the thing that you can get your hand on is a screwdriver, but what you really need is a wrench. Or what you really need is a hammer, but all you can find is a wrench. How many of y'all have nailed a nail with a wrench? Well, of course you have. Everybody has. And it, can, it, it, it has a purpose. You can accomplish something, but it just doesn't work right. When we read the Old Testament without a passion and an intentionality of discovering Jesus, does it benefit us? Absolutely! Just like trying to hammer a nail with a wrench. It can accomplish something, but you never really do it the way. We need to use the tools the way they were designed. And the Old Testament was written to declare and reveal the coming Messiah. Every book, every chapter, every story, every character, every event, every rule, every command were designed by God to reveal and point people to Jesus. Let me give you some quick examples. And I could go on all day. I won't, but I could. By example, what's the point of the story of Noah's Ark? What's the the point? Oh, it's the story of a boat and a family and how they built this ark and there's a flood coming and God wanted to, to save this little family and all these cute animals. And it, that, that's the point of that story. And if you are diligent and you work hard and you're faithful to do what God tells you to do, good things will happen. That's not the point of the story. Did that happen? Why would you think it didn't happen? I don't even understand why somebody would not believe that happened. I really don't. But what's the point of the story? The point of the story is not did it or didn't happen. The point of the story is God is declaring to us that there is ultimate doom and destruction coming. And those that place themselves in the point of the story provision will be spared. That's the point of the story. To read it and miss that. Oh, it's about animal preservation. No, it's not. It's not. Or even God's love for Noah. It's not. That's that's a, a secondary message. The story of Abraham and Isaac going up on that mountain and uh, 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 Isaac's bringing the logs and Abraham's bringing the knife and the fire and they're going up there and God tells Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice. What's the point of that story? Well, everybody knows the point of the story, right? If you give God your best, God will give it back to you or he'll give you something better. Is that the point of that story? Did it happen? Of course it happened. And is that a good, nice uh, lesson to learn that we ought to give God our best and if we do, He'll give it back to us or maybe even give it back to us many-fold or even something better? That's a love. That'll preach. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that an innocent lamb gave up its life To save the life of a beloved son. That's the point of the story. 
And I could go on and on the story of Isaac and Jacob. You remember when uh, 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 Jacob and Esau, uh, they were the boys and the dad loved uh, Esau and the mama loved I, uh, Jacob and the dad wanted to pour, put a blessing on, and, and pour out his abundance and his blessings and, his, and the, all of that stuff on Esau and the mom and Jacob created this the dad's doing the favoritism and the mom's doing the deceit. And uh, uh, Jacob tricks his dad into getting a blessing. And the lesson of that story is that families that practice favoritism and families that practice deceit, it just doesn't go well. So don't do that. Well, that's a good lesson. Nothing wrong with that lesson. That's a good thing for all families to practice or not practice. Right? That's not the point. That's not the underlying, foundational, central message of that story. The real message of that story is that one who was unfavored was clothed in the garments of another and could enter into the presence of his dad and the dad wouldn't see him But he was blinded by love and he saw someone else and because he did, that unfavored child experienced the favor and the blessings of the father. That's the point of the story. To see it as something else, you're missing it. You're missing it. The story of Joseph. Oh, this is the best one of all. Well, it's not the best one, but it's a good one. What's the story of Joseph and his brothers and going down to Egypt? Well, everybody knows. We're going to go through unjust suffering. And when we do, we just need to trust God to take care of us. And if we're faithful and diligent and we trust God through it all, God's going to get us to the other side victoriously and He's going to use all the bad that other people do to ultimately bless us and for our good. Isn't that the story of Joseph? Of course it is. No. No. The story of Joseph is that one was taken from a family and a place of abundance and favor and blessing. And he came and suffered unjustly so that he could rescue Those that were helpless and guilty. That's the story of Joseph. And to read that, are there volumes of benefits to glean and apply to our lives from the life of Joseph? Of course. But if you don't see that Joseph is proclaiming the life of Jesus in your life, you're the brother. I'm the brother. We're the ones that... Said the Hades with you. Screw you. And danged if that very one that we betrayed and shunned is the very one who suffered and sacrificed and was faithful so that we could be rescued. I don't have time to go into the into Moses and the plagues, the Passover lamb. Israel crossing the Red Sea, the cloud and the fire, throwing the, 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 the log into the, into the bitter water, um, uh, the manna 
the, the, the bread of life and the living water. I don't, I don't, the, I don't have time. The striking the rock. I mean, there, when, you, when you open your eyes, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and we can see these things, all of a sudden to utter the words. I don't read the Old Testament much because it, it really doesn't have a lot for me. It doesn't do a lot for me. Oh my gosh! You're missing some of the most beautiful expressions and declarations of understanding who the Son of God is. A couple more, and then we've got to get close. How about the Ten Commandments? And the golden rule in Leviticus 11. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Obey the Ten Commandments and, and, and obey the golden rule. What's the, what's the purpose of those? Those are good, moral mandates to live by. People that live by the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule, they do better. Societies and cultures that live by the Ten Commandments, they just do better. And I actually believe that. And I think that is one of their secondary purposes. But that's not the primary purpose of the Golden Rule. That's not the primary purpose of the Ten Commandments. The primary purpose is that they declare that anybody that obeys and follows the golden rule as it was designed, and they obey the Ten Commandments as they were designed, they get a get-out-of-jail-free card. They get to go to heaven. They get, they, they, they get into heaven because they didn't sin. Everybody that obeys the Ten Commandments and the golden rule, the way they were designed, you get to go to heaven. But God, truth is, I do terrible on those. I do terrible on the Ten Commandments. I do terrible on the golden rule. On my best day, I do terrible. Is there nobody? Nobody can obey the golden rule. Nobody that can, can obey the Ten Commandments. Well, there's one. He obeyed the golden rule perfectly. He obeyed the Ten Commandments perfectly. He gets to go to heaven. What is that? Where does that leave the rest of us? Well, anybody that, gets to, that hides under his robe gets to go in too. I get to sneak into heaven not because I've obeyed those commands well but because I'm hidden in the righteous robes of one that did. That's the point of that story. That's why God gave us the Ten Commandments. To reveal to us our inability to get into heaven and to help us identify who in the world could get in on their own. That person must be the Messiah. I can identify the Messiah. I, there's billions of people. How can I recognize who the Messiah is? Look for the one that obeyed the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule perfectly and latch on to him like a barnacle on an old ship. And if he gets in, you get in. And we could talk about the high priest and the sacrifices and the temple and the Holy of Holies and the curtain that, was, that separated God from man. 
And on and on and on. Rahab and the scarlet thread. The cities of refuge. Boaz being Jesus in the life of Ruth. David and Goliath. David and Mephibosheth. Story after story after story. Jonah and Nineveh. What's What's the point of Jonah and Nineveh? Was it a real event? Absolutely. I believe, it with, I believe that Jonah happened historically, just like I believe The same book that tells me about Jesus told me about Jonah. But the point's not, was the, was, the, was the whale a fish or a whale? Was the fish a real or metaphorical? Well, I don't understand anybody that would think it wasn't real, but that's not the point. The point is that somebody would come one day, not begrudgingly, not with prejudice and unforgiveness and ill will and bitterness, but would come and proclaim a message of, of uh, where's Christopher? A message of, of setting the people free that were in chains. And that anybody that would listen to him and respond to him would be spared from the coming disaster and destruction. We could talk about Esther and Daniel and his three Hebrew friends. Let me just say this. I beg you. I beg the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see that the Old Testament characters, events, Commands, laws, rules, events. Their ultimate purpose is to point to something greater than themselves. Just like John the Baptist. To reveal something infinitely more important than themselves. And if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing with the New Testament. We'll miss the, the whole point of If we're not careful, we read these stories like um, 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 uh, David and I were just talking the other day uh, about the, the unforgiving servant. Remember the dude that went into the king, the parable of the dude that went into the king and he owed billions of dollars and the, the king said, I tell you what, I'm going to forgive you. And the guy goes out and, and uh, meets the, the other dude who owed him a couple of thousand dollars, a couple of hundred bucks, I've forgotten now, and uh, the guy says, uh, please forgive me or please give me time and I'll pay you back. And the guy says, absolutely not. I want it right now or I'm throwing you in jail. What's the point of that story? Well, everybody knows. We as God's children ought to forgive. That's true. That's an important thing. But that's not the point of that story. The point of that story is why it was so grievous to the king that his forgiven servant wouldn't forgive. It communicated a quality about the king. Wow, your king must be really stingy. Your king must be miserly. Your king must not care about you because clearly for you to be that Angry and unforgiving to somebody that owes you a few bucks. 
that must mean that your king has not opened up all of his treasures and made them available to you. No, only somebody that was that miserly and angry and unforgiving. Clearly, you just live day by day on the crumbs that fall from the king's table. Surely, you're not somebody that has access to all of the vaults of wealth at the king's palace. Because if you were, you'd forgive. It was a bad, wasn't a bad reflection on the servant. It was a bad reflection on the king. Prodigal son. Now, now, well, we could, that's a whole other kettle of fish we could talk about. We read the, we read the prodigal son story. Who are you? Are you the older son or are you the uh, younger son? And the issues, the prodigal son story is not about the two boys. The prodigal son story is about the father and his broken heart over the fact that his sons didn't understand him and were not in a place where he could pour out his abundance on them. They were missing his love. They were missing his blessings. They were missing his food. It's his love, his blessings, his plans. That's the point of that story. The Good Samaritan. We need to help people that are in need. Isn't that the point of that story? The point of that story, I'm the... The first Jewish man that's laying in the dirt, beat to Hades. I'm that guy. You're that guy. Don't worry about the other three dudes walking by. That's not the point. The point is that a Samaritan father stopped. Uh Oh, the other two guys. Sorry, the other two guys. You you know what I'm saying. Um, That a Samaritan father saw a child beat up. And dying and stopped and took care of him. You, me. And again, you see, we can go, uh, one more and I'm through, I promise. Oh my gosh, Jesus uh, in the garden right before he died. And Jesus is praying with the same three dudes, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus is praying. And he comes back and he says, Peter, James, and John. Can't you stay awake with me? Pray with me? And he goes off and prays, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And he comes back, Peter, James, and John, you're sleeping again. Can't you stay awake? He goes and does it three times. What's the point of that story? Everybody knows the point of that story every time we read it. I need to be more diligent in my prayer life. I need to be more faithful and stay awake and pray, intercede for the world and intercede for the president and intercede for Washington and intercede for the lost. and intercede. I, God, help me not fall asleep. That's a good prayer. That's a good lesson. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But that's not the point. The point of that story is that there is one that is praying and he never falls asleep. You never walk into the throne room of heaven and see Jesus sleeping and not interceding for you. He is continually before the throne making intercession on our behalf, on your behalf. You're never going to catch him sleeping. Do you see how it's all about me? It's about me. I need to do better. I need to change. 
What's in it for me? It's not about us. It's not about us. And if we can read the Bible with Jesus as the focus, let me tell you something. We can argue about what it was. The Bible is about the Son of God. Old Testament and New Testament. Do we read the Bible with our focus on us or with our focus on finding Christ? Is the Bible challenging us to live a superior life? Or is the Bible pointing us to one that lived a perfect life? Wow. Oh, Lord have mercy. Um, Jim, would you and Beck come help me?